Thank you for joining us. For your encouragement, we bring to you this biblical sermon from Dr. Charlie Dates, preached at the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. We hope that it leaves you refreshed and inspired. If you're ever in Chicago on a Sunday, we'd love to have you in worship with us. Join now. This message already in progress. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. When you got it, say, I got it. This is how the Bible reads. It says, they came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. The chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gnashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of you, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out into the country. Now there was a large herd of swine nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out the unclean spirit, spirits, entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed. Look at this. Sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. He was getting into the boat, and the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everybody was amazed. This uh, passage in Mark chapter 5 chronicles the story of a man possessed not by one demon, but by a legion of them. This morning, I want to tag this text in our exchange, a human haunted house. You may be seated. I want to talk from the thought, a human haunted house. Will you all pray with me, please? Our great King and our God, we honor you today and thank you for Jesus Christ, our Savior, for the help and the hope that is ours in his name. I pray now that you will give me clarity of mind, concision of speech, 
a fresh reliance upon your spirit, a fresh enablement of your Holy Spirit, that you'll stand up in my body and think with my mind and speak with my mouth, the truth that will lift and encourage your people. In Jesus' name, the people of God said together, amen. At cruising altitude, the pilot of our flight last week said that we were 32,000 feet above ground. I tell you what, church, at 32,000 feet through the porthole, the window of an airplane, this is a fair and beautiful land. I was flying into Chicago from the West Coast, and we cascaded over the Grand Canyon above the sandy ranges of the Maricopa Mountains with their sparkling rivers, then above the quilted plains soaking up the amber sun of an October sunset till we leveled out over the Midwest and began our initial descent. But even at 8,000 feet above ground, Chicago itself looks like a dream city on a beautiful day. It was as if the Willis Tower and the John Hancock Building were rising above the ground to shake our hands as the plane came to land. They met us as the tapestry of streets and parks and golf courses and buildings came together. And that glittering jewel, Lake Michigan, almost hypnotizes even the casual passerby just as O'Hara opens its land for you to hit ground. Those are the moments from an airplane above, far in the sky, that take your breath away, that cause you to join in with the psalmist and say, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. But if you were to live your life just up there, you would never know that high school children in Bronzeville at Wendell Phillips High School had just endured another senseless shooting at the ringing of the school bell. Flying up there, you would never know that somewhere in Inglewood, a young boy and his sister have not had food for weeks. And though they may not have swollen bellies, their malnutrition shows up in their empty attention span and their sullen countenances. Flying in that airplane, looking at this glorious city, you would never know that in Austin and East Garfield Park, a mother and daughter are weeping in their last stages of a family crisis, that human beings have been torn into pieces, not simply riddled by bullets, but by fear. Flying from way up there, you would not know that although some policemen like Deacon Carl are fine human beings, risking their lives to serve and protect us, while others are hoodlums, hidden behind a badge whose fraternal order feels more Klansman-like than duty bound. Flying up in the air, you would not know that somewhere politicians are conferring about money, money from an American Recovery Act that could possibly make our city budget less of economic apartheid, that they could be sending money to fund violence interrupters, to prevent the violence before it happens, rather than all of the money going into communities that don't look black or brown. It's a different, fairer world up in the sky. You look from that airplane window, you get to see all of the glory and grandeur of our nation. But when you hit the ground, 
you got to conclude with that 15th century reformer, Martin Luther, that this world is devil's filled. He said, and though this world is devil's filled and threatens to undo us, we will not fear for God is willed to triumph through our Lord. Church, our city is full of demons. 680 murders this year is full of demons. 182 carjackings in multiple parts of the city by 13 and 15-year-olds. This city is filled with devils. 19 months of miseducation, children going to school either in danger or on a laptop or neither. A world with devils filled. When we get to Mark chapter 5, we meet a human being filled with devils. A man who lives in the cemetery in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 4, to be fair, Jesus and his disciples have just gone through a storm. <clears throat> but in Mark chapter 5, they meet a man who has a storm going through him. We learn in this text, don't we? Many applicable and encouraging insights about the life of Jesus Christ. That's the aim of Mark's gospel. Mark points out to us the ease with which his disciples fail him. At every turn, they cannot see who Jesus is. But it's like everybody else on the margins, including blind Bartimaeus, who do, does not have eyes that work, has a clearer picture of Jesus than the disciples who are walking with him. Mark presents Jesus as a man on the move. He is using his favorite word, immediately, suddenly. You see Jesus in all of his rapid force and power, moving with haste and urgency. Then there is the lordship of Jesus over nature, saying to us that all of creation is subject to his power. Not just the wind and the waves and the rain, but also the spirit world. This text tells us that you and I find hope and help in Jesus Christ alone. That there is no problem that Jesus cannot fix. That there is no church that Jesus cannot resurrect. That there is no sickness that Jesus cannot heal. And there is no longing that Jesus cannot satisfy. Though you live on the block with them, there is no soul that Jesus cannot save. There is no world that Jesus does not own. That's the beauty of the power and personality and work of Jesus Christ. As it leaps from the pages of of the Holy Bible, I, I have to remark like Einstein did, that who can stand to read about the illuminating personality of Jesus as communicated in these gospels and not feel the warmth of his power and his person? Here is the very God-man, the one who has all power in his voice, and for that reason, you and I can trust Christ to subdue the powers that rage without and the passions that rage within. This text says to us that our overwhelming impossibilities are actually within the jurisdiction of Jesus' power. So that when you feel haunted, and when you feel hopeless, when oppressions come upon you, you can actually find help and relief through Jesus Christ alone. Let me see if I can say it this way. Wherever Christ is, Creation has to submit to his authority. I came to preach. I just want a half a church if I can get through it. Wherever 
Jesus is. Creation has to submit to his authority. So what do we learn about the person and work of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 5 that will transform the way that we live in the here and now? Well, I think one of the things that you and I learn seeing leaping from the pages is that Jesus goes where the trouble is. Here he is at the beginning of Mark chapter 5. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. I want you to feel the scenery, the topography, the beauty of this text. Jesus enters the Gerasenes. This is a spacious, green, serene seashore part of town. We've been there before. It's suburban right on the other side because it could not get to the city. The Jews would not let a cemetery be built in proximity to their villages and cities where the population dwelt. But there's that word, dwelt. Dwelling in the beautiful, ironic seaside cemetery was a man shackled with an impure spirit. It reminds us that sometimes the ugliness of our humanity lives alongside the beauty of nature's artistry. That, that sometimes the beauty of the world around us does not register the ugly pain going on on the inside of us. That, that you can be in a beautiful city, in a beautiful neighborhood, and have the most horrible emotions wreaking havoc on the inside of you. He made his home in the cemetery. That's odd. The cemetery is the place of the dead, not the living. What a frightening picture. Church, there's nothing dignified, sophisticated, or helpful about the image of this man living in the cemetery. He, he is what I like to call an exile in contradicted freedom. I say contradicted because he's bound with chains and fetters. Chains and fetters. The best that society has to offer its wayward citizens. The powers that be have determined that incarceration is the best way to handle their problems. So they lock him up. At first, they lock him up with chains, but no one is able to get him to stay bound. Look, look at them as they approach him, church, with fear in their eyes, trying to get the chains around his wrist. They don't want him in their cities. They don't want this type of man around their kids. He's a menace to their society, and they figure the best way to keep his menacing behavior away is to lock him up. But the chains don't work, so they do what people do. They go for a digital monitoring system around his ankle. I know y'all ain't never seen that. You ain't never seen your cousin with one of them. It ain't ankle jewelry. Fetters. These iron-clad ankle braces that were meant to keep him subdued. But look at him. He breaks out of them like, like a man tearing apart a Lego set. Like a, like a cook tearing dough for a pizza. But it's ironic because he's bound and free at the same time. He's free to roam and he's incarcerated simultaneously. And I, I'm preaching to some of you wondering if any of you know what that's like. To live in a prison with no bars. 
That's what Pete Rose titled his autobiography in 2004. You all might remember Pete Rose, at first baseman, stellar outfielder for the Cincinnati Reds, who had a gambling addiction, something so titillating that he couldn't stop doing it, even though it meant the end of his legendary career. And, and I have to remember when I'm writing this sermon, these sermons, who I'm coming to preach to on Sunday morning. I forget that I'm preaching to such a pristine, erudite congregation, people who've never done anything wrong. They've never felt the allure of sin. You've always been so neat and high and clean. And I come every week hoping to connect with one sinner, but, but I preach to you and you act like you don't know nothing about sin. And I wonder if there's somebody here who you haven't been in a prison industrial complex, but you have been bound. You were not bound by change. You were bound by that thing. Who was it who sung that song? That thing, that thing, that thing. You, you know you want to give up. You know it's not good for you. You know that it's not better, but, but it traps you. And all of us have some problem in life. All of us have some weakness in life. All of us have something that on our worst day, we're a candidate to do the very thing we hate in other people. And I wonder, is there anybody here today that's ever gone back to something that you said you were never going to go back to again? But look at you now. By the grace and the power of Jesus, he gave you freedom to live again. Here it is. In our culture, we think that if we bind people behind bars, if we drug them, if we restrain them, we can change them. But just because a person is chained to church doesn't mean they have a changed heart. There is something beyond the physical that traps human life. The trauma that gets us cannot always be seen with the naked eye. When you see people languishing under the recurring tag of hopelessness, I don't want you to leave here thinking that all they need is a better education or more resources or access to social networks. No, no, the problems and the trauma that traps us are not always physical to the naked eye. Just the other Friday, I was walking down Wentworth Avenue right here at the double doors in front of the church, and, and I met a man who was sprawled out on the upper step. He was in obvious need. I went to speak with him, and unlike Deacon Taylor, I didn't just reach in my pocket. Y'all know how Deacon Taylor does it. He just, oh, okay, here you go. He, he, he cannot find somebody who needs help who he will not immediately help. I love that about him, but I knew I couldn't do that. So I turned the corner, came inside. I reached in my pocket. I pulled something out, and I, I put my fist around it in my pocket. And I walked back up on him, and I said, hello, and I startled him. He jumped. I, he, he said, I'm about to leave. I said, I, I, I'm the pastor. You are. I said, yeah, he said, I'm about to go. I said, man, man, do you need anything? There he was rolling his blunt. I, I know y'all don't know what that is, but there's a, there's a plant that grows from the ground that as uh, a hallucinogenic kind of can take pain away from time to time. You roll it in this white paper, you lick the edges of it, and then you light it. That's, that's how I've seen people do it. That's how I've seen people do it. And there he was on the front steps rolling and licking the joint. And you ask me, did I tell him to leave? No, I let him smoke it right there on the steps of the church. Because when I asked him what was going wrong, his lips started to quiver. 
And, and he said, my, my girlfriend's leg has just been amputated. And they told her she has a terminal illness. And two weeks ago, I lost my only living relative, my uncle. And I knew in that moment, I knew in that moment, education wasn't going to fix him. More money wasn't going to help him. But life can be so cruel sometimes. Life has moments that are so severe that even the strongest of us will abandon sanity. And you wonder why people are walking around here. Trauma is a real force. Our best schools have not found a cure for trauma. Our highest science has not remedied the thing that ails us. And so rather, Brother Jimmy, than looking at him asking what's wrong with him, a better question in my mind is what happened to him? The human spirit was not meant to be trapped by evil and wickedness. These little boys carrying guns, their, their minds have not been able to survive the blows of heinous atrocities. These little girls carjacking are trapped by their own trauma. They, they are hurt by destructive effects that pervade in our fallen world. And I read this text a thousand times before, and I came to it this week wondering not, not what's wrong, but what happened to him. I thought to myself, maybe he had gone to a funeral of a loved one. Maybe he was so taken by the grief that he stayed back as everybody else left. The limos pulled off. And he said, I just need a few moments to grieve by myself. And one hour turned to two and two to four until he stayed all night. And one day turned to another day and to another. And his grief opened him up. Or, or, or maybe he had had enough of the Roman occupation of his territory. And unable to reconcile the story of a good God with the evil of his circumstance, he opened himself up to the forces of evil that promised him peace and tranquility. Or, or maybe he was a family man. We come to see at the end of the text that there were those back home who cared about him. And he lost his bearings under the pressure of trying to provide and reconcile relationships. Something happened to him. And what was it that happened to him that put him in that state? Well, Mark does not tell us what happened, but Mark does tell us that somebody showed up at the cemetery that day. That, that Jesus was passing through. And we learn that Jesus is not some absentee landlord of planet Earth who watches creation fall into greater disarray. And this is why I love Jesus and follow him. Because when you are at your impossible moment, Jesus shows up and shows you what is possible with God. I'm preaching, I need somebody to hear me. When your back is up against the wall, when your life has fallen apart, when the bottom has come out of where you are, when you are hopeless, there is somebody who can bring hope beyond hope, who can give you a new and brighter day. And if y'all push me, I'll tell you his name. It's Jesus. Oh, uh, thing I love about Jesus is not only does he show up where trouble is, Oh, but Jesus is able to tame wild things. Oh, yeah, here it is right here in the text. The, the Bible says in verse 6, seeing Jesus from a distance. 
I can stop right there. Seeing Jesus. Oh, how I wish more Christian preaching would let Jesus, uh, the real Jesus, stand up and take the stand. How many more people would be delivered from their maladies and their troubles if, if they got to see beyond all of the smoke machines and past all of the lights and past all of the gimmicks and tricks to the real Jesus? You, you, you do know that there's some of y'all done bought into the wrong Jesus. You, you done bought into that Jesus who you thought you could rub like a genie and he'll do whatever you want him to do. And you've been told that if you name it and claim it, if you blab it and grab it, if you shout three times and spin around in a circle, that that breakthrough you've been waiting on for your whole life is coming to you in two days. Somebody lied to you and made it seem like Jesus was the one who you could pay like a, like a, a machine, put money in them, and he'll shoot out whatever you want. But that ain't the Jesus we serve. The Jesus we serve has all power in his hands, which means he can do whatever he wants to do whenever he gets ready to do it, and ain't nothing you or nobody else can do about it. I'm talking about that Jesus who stood out on that boat in Mark chapter 4 and told the winds to lay down and the waves licked his hand like a mangy dog. I'm talking about that Jesus who heard J. Iris say, death has got my daughter. And Jesus said, don't worry, I'm going to take her from death and give her back to you. I'm talking about that Jesus who showed up in Cana of Galilee and they said, hey, we ain't got no more wine at this wedding. And Jesus said, go over to the water. And the water heard his voice, turned its back and blushed at the sound of its creator and turned into sparkling Moscata. I'm talking about Jesus. And when you get a picture of that Jesus, ain't no problem you got that he cannot handle. Ain't no person you have that he cannot reconcile. Ain't no fear you got that he cannot overcome. All of creation has to submit to his authority. How do I know it? Seeing Jesus, this man ran over to him and fell down. Oh, oh. I know this man didn't go to our church because we got to beg people. We got to push people. We got to urge you, raise your hands. And as soon as the song is over, you done and you dignified and codified. But, but when you see Jesus for real, ain't nobody got to tell you what to do. Something happens on the inside of you and you fall down because you know who he is. And isn't it amazing that the demons know who Jesus is and the disciples don't? Woo! He fell down and he worshiped him. And I don't know that he was worshiping him willingly. I think the demons knew immediately who he was. And because of who Jesus is, they were forced to fall down. You do know that you got a choice today. You can worship him willingly, or the day's gonna come where you're gonna have to bow forcefully. And look at what they say to him. What, what we got to do with each other? What, don't, don't torment us. See, the demons know that their day is coming. And they say, don't let today be the 
today. Isn't it interesting? We got to convince the world and the philosophy professors and the media that Jesus is all of this, but the very demons who are ruling the air know that they got to ask Jesus for permission whenever they run into him and listen to them. They, they say, please, please don't destroy us today. Jesus is saying to them, who are you? In the language of Mark's gospel, the original language suggests that multiple voices came out of this one man. He spoke in surround sound. His mouth became a stereo. We are legion. Legion, 6,000 Roman soldiers. The Roman government had 25,000 legions. This is how they were able to take over the world. And this man is a walking human haunted house. And you wonder why stuff is messed up in Chicago. You, you, you wonder why things are in the shape that they are in. I want you to look at this man. See him. Can you see him, church? No, this ain't a beautiful sight. His hair is all matted. He's got debris and dirt coming through it. He's got scabs and sores. His blood is coagulating where he's been cutting himself. He reeks of urine and feces. And he opens his mouth and the most heinous smell comes out as all of these particles of debris fall out of his mouth. He is hopeless beyond hope. His life is out of control. He doesn't know what happened to him. He's at his wit's end. He has faced his impossibility. Ravaged. Ravaged by the devil. He's out of his mind. And I got to say to you, because the demons say, don't send us away. Send us over into the pigs. De demons cannot function in power apart from physicality. They, they need something to occupy in order to bring their reign of terror in the world. They, they say to Jesus, don't, don't eliminate us. Give us some bodies to get into. You look at all of what's going on in Chicago, I want to say that's what's happening. I, I want to say I'm driving down the expressway Tuesday night in Chicago, and shots ring out right behind me. And I pull over to the shoulder of the expressway and I drive the shoulder to the nearest exit. You, you, you got to wonder, what is it that's in the heart of people that would make them randomly and viciously not care about human life? You don't need to be afraid. Can I tell you, you don't need to be afraid. If, if you're a Christ follower, as I read scripture, Christians cannot be possessed by demons. No, no. Demons need an empty house. <laughs> they, they need space to occupy. But when you got saved, you got somebody called the Holy Spirit. I wish I had that church I grew up in. They wouldn't be so dignified. They say, I got the Holy Ghost moving down in my soul. 
that, that you've been sealed to the day of redemption. So the devil may ask for permission for you, but since the Holy Ghost is inside of you, whenever the devil shows up, he says, no, no, you got to back up here now. You, you, you can't come in here now. This is a saved house. This, this is occupied territory. And I wonder, am I preaching to anybody here today that knows the devil would have had you had God not stopped him before he tried to snatch you. I know what I'm talking about. Some of us should be dead and gone, lost our minds, have sold our bodies, but look at you in church this morning with your mind clothed in your right mind because there is a God. I said there is a God who rules over you and me. Listen now. The demons recognize who Jesus is. And they show us, I take my seat now. They show us the failure of corporate greed, the ability for Jesus to make unexpected disciples. Here is that trauma-influenced discipleship, evangelism. The, the pigs go leaping, running down the hill until they land in the water, one stacks upon another, 2,000 of them. You look at that and you go, man, it's a lot of bacon, Lord. Some pork chops. It's enough ham to feed several thousand families. I know some of y'all dignified. You don't, you don't eat pork no more. I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't really fool with it. No, or a little pepperoni every now and then. But, you, but no, 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 no. But, but you, you got you to gotta wonder, what, what are these pigs doing there anyway? He's in Gentile territory. And he's showing that he's the Lord even over Gentile territory. He's taking that pig, that Roman symbol, and saying, I'm Lord even over the empire, which is a strange lesson American Christianity hadn't quite come to learn yet. And here he is. He's over the empire. And in this moment, they get so mad and afraid that they ask the deliverer to leave. You mean to tell me their corporate interests are so much saturated by money that they would rather see a man languish under possession and oppression than to lose their pigs and their money. And I got to say to somebody, evil is always tied to making a lot of money like that. Don't you think for one moment now that large corporations that do not benefit that benefit rather off of the incarceration and the trouble of hurting people are interested in them getting delivered. But if you leave it up to the world, the world will always choose their business over God. But I want to help somebody get out of this slave religion today. I want to help you get out of this. Jesus does not liberate this man's soul and leave his body in shackles. Y'all ain't in here with me. You do know that was, that was the language that was given to slaves before they were baptized in the colonies. They were told, you got to confess right now that, that this salvation is for your soul and not your body. And there's something about American Christianity that has made our salvation all about our souls. That all we care about is people going to heaven while they live in hell on earth. And you got to look at this picture of Jesus and say, Jesus is concerned not only with this man's soul, but he wants his body to be delivered. 
That's why we got to work a comprehensive gospel at this church. That's why we're laboring across the street. Because if they're going to know that Jesus is real, it's got to be more than just bowing their heads and closing their eyes. They got to have food to eat. They got to have a place to lay their head. And the church has to lead the effort. Help me, Lord. Oh, I'm done now, church. Let me preach my conclusion and I'm in my seat. You see this man? He's delivered. His body has been restored. And they say, Jesus, would you leave? And Jesus says, all right, he's getting on his boat. And here comes a man getting on the boat right behind Jesus. Because what else you going to do when you've been delivered? I, I, I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. See. I've been trying to beg y'all to go to growth group, trying to urge you, be a disciple, trying to urge you, follow Jesus, do more than just Sunday morning. But I know what the problem is when I read this text. You don't realize how much he delivered you from. Because when you've been delivered, you try to get on that boat and go with him. Because all delivered people follow Jesus. He says, I want to go. And Jesus says, no, 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 man, no, bruh. You can't go with me. It's the first time we see Jesus turn down a disciple in person. He, no, 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 you can't go with me. What, what, what do you mean? He said, no, I got another assignment for you. I need you to go back home. Because there's some people who, where you from, they remember what you used to be like. I need you to go back home. And when, when they ask you, what happened to you? I want you to tell them that you met somebody who could do, help me Holy Ghost, what no other power can do. I want you to tell them that, that there is power that's able to clean the soul. I want you to tell them that you met somebody you ain't never seen before. Oh, can y'all see that man going back home? Can you see him headed to the Decapolis, 10 cities? Do you see him turn the corner at his block and he's walking down the street of his block? Do you, do you see him, y'all? Y'all don't see him. His, his kids are sitting in the living room. And, and his daughter, his daughter says, well, well, could that be? That looks like, that's my daddy. My, my, mama, mama, it's, it's daddy. And, and mama says, oh, child, lock the doors. You, you better go run and hide. Let's, let's all go somewhere. And, and she says, no, mama, daddy got a haircut. Daddy got on clothes. Daddy got a Bible in his hands. Daddy is walking in here like he in his right mind. Y'all ain't in here with me. But can you see that man walking back into his house? Can you see that man? Can y'all see him coming back inside of that house? Can, can you see him coming to the front door? And when he comes to the front door, his, his wife says, oh, oh, baby, what happened? And, and they hug, and, and he says, I met a man. <laughs> oh, God, give me a church. I, I met a man from Galilee who's able to save the sin-sick soul. He, he went out to his friends, and, and they said, what, what happened to you? And, and he says, all I know is that I was blind, but now I see. Is, is there anybody in the church today that knows that, that Jesus got that kind of power? H.B. Uh, tells the story. There, there was a man, a young boy, standing on a naval ship. 
He was standing in a rank with the other privates. Uh, when, when his commanding officer came by and, and he saw in the distance a, a ship coming by and he started to yell, that's him, that's him. And the commanding officer said, we, we don't break rank. Uh, you got to stand still. And, and he said, I'm, I'm sorry, but, but that's him, that's him. He, he said, what are you talking about? He said, I once was in these waters drowning when my boat went down. But that man came by and, and he lifted me from the waters. He put clothes on my back, shoes on my feet, food on my table. And I asked him, what can I do to repay it? And he said, just, just tell people when you see my boat that it's me, it's me. And I wonder, am I preaching to anybody whose soul has been drowning in sin? You were lost and you were broken. But the captain of the ship, he heard your despairing cry and he lifted you up. And so now you got a testimony. You got a testimony. Y'all got a testimony. You got a testimony. We all got a testimony. That's him. That's him. Every time I go to the grocery store and I got money to pay for my groceries, I look at the teller and I say, that's him. That's him. When I look back over my life and I see that he paid my tuition, I say, that's him. That's him. I've been sick. Thought I wasn't going to get well, but he healed my body so I can tell that's him, that's him. Y'all ought not let me preach this sermon all by myself. Has he been good? Has he made a way? Has he opened doors? How to reach the masses? Men of every birth for an answer. Jesus gave the key. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Lift him up. Lift him up. Still he speaks from eternity. He said, if I lifted up I'll draw all men unto me can you shout yeah 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 has he been good lift him up as a Christian ought lift the Savior for men to see yeah
Thank you for listening. Tune in next week for another uplifting and inspiring message by Dr. Charlie Dates, Senior Pastor of the Progressive Baptist Church in Chicago. For more information about our church, visit ProgressiveChicago.org. Progress is yours through the gospel of Jesus Christ.